by Hip Hop Caucuses. Think 100%. We're doing that more and more now. The environmental movement, the the mainstream environmental movement has now come to a place where we are seeing a bigger willingness to work alongside and really integrate environmental justice into all of our work. And I'm very proud of that. I am, you know, I think for a long time, we've been waiting to see this. Um, mainstream environmental movement has been white for a long time. That does not mean that environmental work has always been white. That's Heather McTeer Tony, the National Field Director of Moms Clean Air Force, former mayor of Greenville, Mississippi, and former regional administrator for the EPA under the Obama administration. She is our guest today. And I am Rev Yearwood, your host of The Coolest Show. Well, I am really excited about this conversation because this is a dear friend of mine and she is phenomenal. Uh, I guess I want to give her a background and her bio. Uh, Heather McTeer Tony is the National Field Director of Moms Clean Air Force. In 2014, she was appointed by President Barack Obama to serve as Regional Administrator for the Environmental Protection Agency's Southeast Region. As Regional Administrator, she focused on advancing the administration's priorities are protecting public health and the environment, including addressing climate change, improving air quality, protecting water, and launching a new era of state, tribal, and local partnerships, and working towards a sustainable future. Born and raised, now this is a Southerner like me, born and raised in Greenville, Mississippi, I hope I said that right now. We know people say Mississippi and Louisiana wrong, so they may they may say it wrong. I'm gonna ask about that. But she's a daughter, she's the daughter of a civil rights attorney and a public school teacher. From 2004 to 2012, y'all, she served two terms as the first African American, first female, and youngest mayor of Greenville, Mississippi. During her tenure as mayor, Greenville completed major infrastructure projects and involved the community in numerous health and wellness initiatives throughout the city, focusing on local health, wellness, and women's issues. Heather has served as an advocate, speaking out against domestic violence, unfair legislation, and labor practices in the state of Mississippi. She also published author. She is also a published author in Voices of Historical and Contemporary Black American Pioneers, Volume 2. And Heather holds a BS in sociology from Spelman College in Atlanta and a law degree from the Tulane University of School of Law. Man, Heather, how are you? I am wonderful, Rev. How are you? It's so good to be here with you today. Man, it's so good to hear your voice. Man, it's so much to talk about. I mean, I just, I, I want to get into it because I know that when you were there, I mean, obviously, I want to talk about your time as mayor. I want to get your feelings on Mississippi, on the flag coming down. I want to hear what you got to talk about from the from the Environmental uh, Protection Agency now becoming the Polluters Protection Agency. I want to talk about all that just now. I want to get it. I want to I wanna get it. But before we get it, the, the question of the day is simply, who is Heather McTeer Tony? 
Oh, what the, you know, Heather McTier Tony is a mama, a wife, a black woman in Mississippi, a busy person running around like all the rest of us right now, trying to make sure that we are keeping ourselves and our families safe from coronavirus and doing the best we can to encourage folks to get out and vote in this upcoming election. So that's it in a nutshell. Uh, like a lot of um, folks around the country today, uh, my days are spent doing work. And uh, balancing that with grocery shopping safely and making sure they're doing what they're supposed to be doing safely. So it, it is a it is an adventure every day, every single day. But I am blessed and favored to be able to do it and to maintain um, health and wellness all while really continuing this this super important advocacy work. And let me just say, Rev, you know, I. I so grateful for this show and for the relationship that we have um, with Hip Hop Caucus, with you and between, you know, Moms Clean Air Force, all of our members, as well as your audience. It is just wonderful just to have some time to spend and chat and catch up on some stuff with you, Rev. <laughs> no, I mean, that 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 is, we feel the exact same way. I, I love, um, one, I love you and the work you do. I'm so glad to hear your family is blessed. Um, I know it's, 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 it's a challenge because I, as a parent, you know, we have kids and it's, we have to balance those things. But I also love um, just the work you do and the organizations. Moms to Air Force is, man, one of my favorites. I kind of miss the, 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 the street heat <laughs> being out there <laughs> and seeing uh, the moms in the Air Force Bringing the kids, I'd be like, man, y'all don't change this policy. These folks got their kids with them, y'all. Y'all need to make y'all need People to get. Show up. Y'all need to. They showing up, <laughs> showing up with a posse. They come, they they come with a plus two or a plus right. one. How are they? Right. How are they coming? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Rev, we're still showing up. Like right now, we're in the, the middle of doing what we're calling a stay in and speak out. You know, we usually do a play in every year in Washington, D.C. around this time when we are bringing people from all across the country. All of our members are coming to visit their members on Congress on, on the Hill. But instead, this year, we decided to do a stay in and speak out. And, and just yesterday, we had a great virtual town hall with Representative Tlaib in, in Michigan, where uh, she was talking to her little constituents. We organized it so that our young people had an opportunity to ask her questions. So we're, we're still showing up. We are still there. We are still in the room. No, I love that. I, I, I definitely love that. And so... Let's 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 get to that. Actually, uh, tell folks more about what is Moms Clean Air Force. So, Moms Clean Air Force is a community over of over one point two million moms, dads, play cousins, abuelas, caretakers, people who are concerned about the health and protective measures for our children, particularly when we are talking about air pollution, protecting them from the, the dangers of air pollution and climate change. We are all across this country. And our work uh, it ranges from not just the, the, the federal level. We, a lot of people see us and know us from being on the Hill, but also working locally on state uh, and local initiatives to really push the message of how important it is for us to take action uh, against air pollution and on climate change quickly. Uh, we recognize that the IPCC, the International Panel on Climate Change, that report that came out and told us we have roughly now about nine to 10 years, that we recognize that is not changing to give us more time uh, and that we have to have sound uh, solutions to help us to shift on climate change and reduce air pollution. But we also have a responsibility to do it in a just and equitable fashion. And that's what is really important to us. It, it is making sure that these policies and that the plans moving forward are done in a way that is um, rectifying past wrongs and bringing equity to all communities. And at the same time, ensuring that we have an equitable and just future for our children. So that's us in a nutshell. You can find us online. We're at momscleanairforce.org. We're on Twitter and Facebook and 
all the social media channels. I'm still waiting for my teenagers and my um, and, and some of my folks to give me some uh, TikTok lessons, Rev, so we can figure out how to get into this TikTok. <laughs> but we are everywhere and really elevating the message of what climate action looks like when we're talking about the future of our children. I love it. I love it. And for those, that reference point that Heather made there was in regards to the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. We, we, we call it in the movement the IPCC. And what it, what it did was consider the impacts of uh, global warming um, um, above pre-industrial levels in contrast to, you know, what needs to be done now and how the lower warming targets that need to be achieved uh, can, can be achieved. And this report that was written by hundreds of scientists from many countries uh, based their, 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 their research on thousands of scientific studies. And so we just wanted this and make sure that we highlight that. And when she, when Heather just referenced to, now we have nine, 10 years, that report came out 12 years ago. And so we've already spent three years of that. Um, so that means that the clock is ticking. And in that, you know, Heather, as you think about that as a mom and someone who was there instrumental in your work that you do um, as an activist and as with Moms Clean Air Force and just in general from your from EPA and as a mayor. I mean, how does that how does that that ticking sound affect your work um, as an activist? You know, Rev, it is very loud in the background. It, it is that clock that is set up at the very top of your desk where you can always see it. And that's how I think of this when we are talking about climate policy and action on the local, state, and federal level, because we know that every single thing that we do and plans that we make right now will impact us very quickly. Uh, nine years is not long, not long at all. That My children, who are right now uh, three and 14, uh, we're talking about before they are coming out of college and really driving. Uh, that's, that's, you know, we really just, just think about the amount of time that we have. Now, I don't want us to get into this doomsday theory because we, we have a tendency to do that, right? People think, um, you know, we are on a, a, a doomsday countdown. What we are on is a countdown to make meaningful actions that we can at least continue to try to control and to reduce the impacts. And that is important to know. It, it's like when you know a storm is coming, um, you want to put up storm windows. You, you know you got a little bit of time before the hurricane hits to either stock up your house, make sure you got a generator, move, do something, um, and you use that time wisely. It doesn't mean the storm's not going to come. It just means that we have to be prepared for how we're going to survive it. And that's what we're planning for is how best are we going to survive? How best can we mitigate these um, these impacts and ensure that everybody is getting the best opportunity uh, in a very, again, equitable and just way. I think that's important for us to continue to, to say repeatedly um, because we know that climate impacts uh, to they, they don't climate change does not impact all of us the same way. Um, and black and brown communities are more at risk than any other demographic when it comes to the very real and devastating and deadly impacts of extreme weather and climate change. So we've got to do this work now. And, and that's what our organization is committed to doing and working with all com communities to see that come through. I love that. If, if, if you're just tuning in, um, we are talking to Heather McTeer-Tony, she is the National Food Director of Moms Clean Air Force, a former mayor of Greenville, Mississippi, and a former regional administrator for the EPA under the Obama administration. And I want to stress the Obama administration because right now, under the Trump administration, 
they are reversing literally hundreds of environmental protections. Uh, they have completed the rollbacks on air pollution and emissions and water pollution and infrastructure planning and toxic substances. Uh, you know, just across the board, they are just fighting everything in regards to clean air and clean water. I don't know. Listen, I don't know why they beefing so hard with clean air and clean water, but they definitely beefing with clean air and clean water. Um, so, you know, Heather, I just want you to kind of figure out a couple of things. One, what impacts are these rollbacks having on our community? And then talk a little bit about recently um, the literally the gutting of NEPA, which is the National Environmental Policy Act. Um, what does that mean for us as humans? Yes, yes. Uh, you know, Rev, it, it, as you said, they're beefing with clean air and clean water. It baffles me, you know, <laughs> it, it really does. Um, and I know we've seen a lot of battles. Uh, I come from the, the hip hop era generation too. So, you know, rap battles and beefing is a, is a major thing. But this one, this is, this is like, makes no sense because we're, we're seeing them fight against the very things that are elements of life. And at this point, the administration, this Trump administration, has reversed 100 environmental protections. Uh, and we can only call it what it is. It's a very racist agenda because all protections that they are rolling back disproportionately impact black and brown communities. And there's no way around it. Even when we look at how they have gone about this process, they have reduced the science staff within the agency. They have cut back on their personnel. They have taken away advisory boards that would at least give them the information to show them accurately how these impacts um, are detrimental to the health of people all across this country. And they are really taking profit over people. And we see it time and time and time again. I mean, they have even gone so far as to reduce the comment periods for some of these protections in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, how heartless can you be, Rip, when, when you take away people's opportunity to comment on a health measure and you're taking advantage of the fact that we are suffering under coronavirus in the middle of a pandemic? Um, we, we can only call it what it is. This is harming human health. It is harming people of color. These rollbacks are meant to add profit and money to the pockets of polluters. We have known this since the Wheeler administration started. This has been the playbook they have gone by. A simple matter of checking the boxes for the Trump administration's um, donor role, quite frankly. And uh, at Moms, we have been adamant about the fact that we are going to not only fight this, we're going to call it out for what it is, and we're going to make sure that our members are well aware and can be involved. Rev, we have participated in hearing after hearing for EPA. We have called our, had our members to join hearings. We have been uh, at every stage from the uh, actual comment periods to the OMB, that's Office of Management and Budget um, at the White House. Those are the meetings where they take in comments before the rules come out. We've even been in those. Uh, and we want to make sure that they know, that we know, that somebody has to hold them accountable. And even if they are determined to push forward on these things in the midst of a pandemic, again, which I think is absolutely despicable, um, that we're still watching, you know, we're, we're still watching. And that even as they continue this and as we are moving into a period where we may have a new administration, we are letting them know in a very nonpartisan way that whoever comes into this space of environmental protections, you need to be held accountable and immediately stop these rollbacks for environmental protections. Um, 
you know, Rev, you asked, how are they impacting Black and brown communities? There is a study that just came out yesterday, yesterday, day before yesterday. Uh, I'm going to see if I can find it and, and share it with you. And maybe you can share it with your audience a little later on. But it talked about it talks about the impacts um, of natural gas, the, the being in proximity to natural gas um outlets and premature births for black and brown babies and shows that, you know, black and brown children are 50% more likely to have premature births. Now, if you uh, are subject or part of that group, um, premature births often mean that the child is more susceptible to things like learning disabilities and um, other challenges. Now, that is not always the case, and we certainly don't want that to be the case, but it just puts them in a position where they're more likely than not to have those challenges. And that's just by virtue of who they are and where they are located. These types of things uh, have to be recognized when we have a agency that is constantly rolling back regulations that allow these industries to pollute even more. It's killing black and brown children and harming black and brown children more than anybody else. So again, that's the type of thing that we're calling out and saying, this is what's happening. We know this is what's happening and you cannot get away with this without us acknowledging and holding you accountable. Mm. I know that's right. Well, y'all, y'all know, listen, when I bring out the moms, you know I ain't playing. <laughs> you know, when you, if ever, where we come from, when somebody go get their mama, <laughs> you know that's about to get real serious. And when mama come out there with her house to on and take off her earrings and she walk in with a bag full of Vaseline. Let me, let me tell you something. You need to clear out. You, do, you don't need to be nowhere. You need to just get to moving. Move quick. So I'm about to tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm so sick and tired of y'all trying to pollute our air and pollute our water. I done got the mamas now. So I'm just letting y'all know. This, listen, I, I tried to come, I tried to come with the niceties right. and be like, you know, like, listen, come on, the policies, come on, come on, let's just do what's right. And okay, y'all wasn't doing that, so I had to go get the mama. Right. So here, here we are. Right, here we are. So I want to get to, here we are. So this, I, listen, I'm just going to take a seat at the bench and get my iPhone out and get a world star. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and let, let them get to working right. on y'all. Right. Y'all polluters, y'all messing with us. Here the mamas then. They're going to they, they get on y'all. You know what? Because y'all playing with Man, us. And I didn't realize that like <laughs> until I really became a mama. I, I know, and I got stories just like I know all of us do, of seeing my mama walk into a place completely, you know, just determined that it was about to go down. Like what she was going to say was going to be the end all be all. And, and my mother did it in a very graceful way, but it was still a point that had to be made. When I became a mother, I recognized more than anything else, how far and wide and deep I am willing to go about my children. We have got some mamas that I'm telling you, yeah, Rev, it, 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 I, I know when I see them coming <laughs> that nah, clear like it's, it's, it's a wrap. It's, it's, time it's to a clear. wrap now. It's, you should have did what I told you to do the first time. <laughs> you should have did what you should have did on the first time. If you knew better, you do better. So if you, listen, this it's about to, it's about to, it's about to go down. Listen, you know, Heather, you actually testified, um, and I actually, well, you had mentioned this kind of in your comments earlier, I think sometimes confuses people about the connection to climate and race. And I know you testified early this month um, before the DNC, actually, on air pollution, and you simply said this. You, you called the Trump administration's rollback, quote, a racist agenda pushed faster under the cover of sickness and death, end quote. That's serious. And so I guess I want you to kind of get into that, the connection there between climate and race, and more specifically, as someone who was a former mayor, 
worked at the EPA, um, now is working with Clean Air, uh, the Moms Clean Air Force. I, I just kind of want you to explain um, what you mean by that racist agenda by the Trump administration under the under the guise, literally, of doing the, their, 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 their nastiness under sickness and death. Yes, yes. You know, uh, Rev, our senior director and co-founder, Dominique Browning, we were having this conversation. Actually, this is like back around Earth Day. Dominique penned a great op-ed in the New York Times talking about why we weren't going to celebrate Earth Day, like why we really had to fight as mothers to continue to protect our Earth and protect our environment from these rollbacks. And in, in the conversation, she was like, you know, Heather, this is just racist. And it just sort of dawned on us that as we were looking at the every single one of these rollbacks and we were looking at how they were disproportionately impacting communities of color and poor people, and every single time um, they were talking about something that was going to be more beneficial because it was reducing regulation, but we're not taking into um, account the health impacts of the most vulnerable among us, it was overwhelmingly apparent that this was a racist agenda. And so we we made the decision, you know what, we're going to call it that. And we did that. Mm. And so that was like back in April when we were coming off of Earth Day and coronavirus was really just beginning to pick up. But my God, the steam that we saw from this administration when they really began realizing who was being impacted by coronavirus. When we saw the data that was showing us that black and brown people were not only more likely to be infected, but were also dying faster. That black and brown people were the ones that are not only on the front line as nurses, and essential workers, but you know we are the people who are uh, the janitors in the hospitals, as well as the nurses. We are on the front lines in the hotel industries, in the transportation, we're the bus drivers, we're working the restaurants, we're outside, and so we're not only working and living in the midst of coronavirus, we have to go home to the pollution of it. Mm. Black and brown communities are more likely to be communities and neighborhoods that are on the fence line of air polluting and emitting industries. So, you know, this idea that coronavirus and this quarantine has given us clearer skies and we now see, you know, what we could look like, that wasn't true for black folks. It wasn't true for Latino folks because as they are working so hard on the front lines of this pandemic, they got to go home and the places that they go home to, that they live and pray and work in and are trying to get some rest in, are surrounded by polluting industries. Uh, so these things pulled together show that even as folks are dying and as the sickness is running rampant, you have a administration that is encouraging us to open up. We are going back and forth now about places not wanting to wear masks. And it is clear that the EPA is continuing to push back regulations even as this is going on. The mission of the Environmental Protection Agency is to protect human health and the environment. It's the first lines of the organization's mission statement. But how in the world are we protecting human health when we are constantly reversing environmental protections that are meant to do exactly that? And they're doing it every single day. Rev, I'll take you to one other space on this. I'm in here in Mississippi, and in Mississippi, we have over the past few weeks um, garnered national attention because we are the last state in the union to remove uh, Confederate symbolism from our flag. And, and I was very proud um, that our state moved forward with that, and um, we have begun to move into a more progressive space. It, it was a long time coming and certainly honor should be given to those members of the legislature and civil rights movement here who have been doing that work for some time. But Rev, as I was reading 
some of the arguments back and forth uh, and bringing up some of the history in Mississippi as to why this symbolism was important, I came upon uh, a statement that is very has been publicized quite a bit now. Uh, it was a, a speech or statement that was given um, when the flag first went up. And it was when Mississippi was coming, um, was going through its, its secession, and it was explaining why. And read the statement that was made uh, <laughs> has to do specifically with the importance of enslaved Africans uh, to the environment and mm. the uh, natural area and tendency. Uh, it says specifically, and I'm going to read it because this was the declaration of Mississippi's declaration of the immediate cause which justified this secession. So this goes to the Confederacy. And I'm going somewhere with this, so bear with me. It says that uh, our position is thoroughly identified with the institution of slavery, the greatest material interest in the world. Its labor supplies the product which constitutes by far the largest and most important portions of commerce on the earth. These products are particular to the climate verging on the tropical regions and by an imperious law of nature. None but the Black race can bear exposure to the tropical sun. These products have become necessities of the world and a blow at slavery is a blow at commerce and civilization. Read, when I read that, and that, that, was, that was Mississippi's official statement. When I read that statement, it struck to me how even though we may not think it, the fact that Black folks have been subject to what people have thought about our relationship to climate, to atmosphere, to sun, what we can sustain, what we can withstand, what our bodies can do, has been part of our existence in this country since the beginning. And it continues today. That same thought about how Black bodies respond to the environment, to pandemics, to air pollution, this is not new. This has been part of the theory and part of the structural racism that has been taking place in this country for years. And so now, to have a honest conversation about how do we rectify this and ensure that we are protecting all of our communities and all of our, 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 our all of all humanity, we have to take into consideration that the very basis that agencies have been making these decisions, including right now, what EPA is doing, is based upon the fact that they think and have always thought. Um, uh, that our bodies in and of themselves are just not as valuable. No, no, no. And and I guess I want to I want to stay there, you know, Heather, because you were born and raised in Greenville, Mississippi. Um, and literally you served two terms as the first African American, first female and youngest mayor, youngest mayor of Greenville, Mississippi. And as you're talking about the flag, Mississippi, um, coming down and this this moment that we're in um and and we pray it's 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 actually it's it's powerful it's, I, I was going to say this moment is not just a moment it's a movement which it is but we I hope that we we want it to 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 sustain but I just want to actually connect to you on that because while the flags of oppression come down if the policies of oppression remain then where are we? And I guess, and before you answer that, I just, and I want to just lift up then, because you are literally in the, you are in the tradition. You are the embodiment of uh, both Medgar Evers and, um, uh, and his wife. Um, 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 and so being... <laughs> You know, in, in, in the embodiment of Merle Evers and Megan, and his brother, 
Charles Everest. <laughs> he was the first African-American to be elected as mayor uh, of a city in Mississippi. So you just got Merle, you got Charles, you got you, you, you got Medica, you got all that is <laughs> his makes up makes up Heather. Um, and so, which is powerful for us in the 21st century. But the key thing here is that is bringing down flags enough? Mm, no, it's never been enough. Bringing down flags, um, removing statues, these are things that, yes, we should be doing. Uh, and I think it makes a huge statement that we are doing them. But it is reflective of internal work that is taking place. It, it is the outward reflection of this internal work that's happening. And it is indicative that the places we are now mm. is either in elected position, in positions of policymaking authority or movement building, um, that all of these places that we currently sit, we have to do more of. Um, we must be at the table uh, to be a part of these conversations and help direct how these policies should uh, and, and will continue to shape our future. But, you know, Rev, we've got to create some of our own tables. We're, we're doing that more and more now. The environmental movement, the, the mainstream environmental movement has now come to a place where we are seeing a bigger willingness to work alongside and really integrate environmental justice into all of our work. And I'm very proud of that. I am, you know, I think for a long time, we've been waiting to see this. Um, mainstream environmental movement has been white for a long time. That does not mean that environmental work has always been white, because you and I know that's not true. Uh, environmental work has been very diverse but the events of the past few years have now forced us all into a space where if we are to be successful and we are to ensure um, a just solution for all of us, one that we can work, then we got to work together. That we're having to have some hard conversations and we are beginning to see why it is so important for even mainstream environmental organizations to get outside of their comfort zone and make statements on things like the killing of George Floyd. You know, we wouldn't have seen this 10 years ago, but here we are in a space now where we have mainstream environmental groups who are saying, yes, we have to speak out not just on the things that are connected to us via environmental justice or being via natural resources or, or land management, but we actually have to speak out on police brutality. You know, we have to speak out on these issues of equity and injustice that have been systemic. Um, and we have seen more and more of that happen over the past six months. So there is a transformation that's taking place and it goes beyond the flag removal, it goes beyond, um, again, the symbolism that's taking place in terms of moving different items from our purview, and it digs deeper into ensuring that people of color are sitting in the spaces to make these decisions and are speaking up about how important it is to our work in the environmental space. Mm. You know, Heather, I, 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 you, you bringing up some things here now. You, 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 you touched on some things. Yeah, you know, you, you down, you, 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 you bring up some ideas and some thoughts. Uh, so I, I just got to deal with it. I have a, ton, I, I mean, I just want. You can't tiptoe around it. Yes, I gotta, I gotta. <laughs> no, no. So let me, so, so let me say this, because you know, we, we had this. I want to also go into the. The, you kind of listed up some of the, the issues around it. I want you to fine-tune that for folks who are listening. But I also want to go to, to some solutions. But let me get to the issues, too. What you did say, in essence, is this. If me and my buddies, say I take uh, Cross, who 
helps produce this show and TC, my, my, my good brother, my, my good brother TC Mahat. And we go down to the local, uh, uh, the local joint and we just hanging out and a fight breaks out and crosses, crosses in the fight and TC's in the fight. And I just sit back and watch. Right. <laughs> and I don't do nothing. And then, and then they, they whip, they whip cross and TC. <laughs> <laughs> and so <laughs> we get back home oh. and they look at me and they go red. And I tell them, oh, I didn't know I was supposed to be fighting with y'all. On, <laughs> I Come didn't on. know. I didn't know. <laughs> I thought y'all had it. And so That's right. <laughs> and then and then the, the, the next time they're not gonna want to trust me in a situation when the fight breaks out. I say that is because when you say that there are folks in our movement who don't fight for when black folks or indigenous folks or people of color are fighting mm -hmm. and then they just mm -hmm. kind of come back mm -hmm. later on and say, oh, I didn't know we were supposed to be fighting mm -hmm. with you for environmental justice. Next time. I got you next time. It feels, it feels a little funny, right? And so I guess I need you to kind of explain, one, how... How can you not know when you're supposed to be in the same movement, you're not fighting together? And two, how do you then, after that fight broke out and folk feel left behind or not together, how do you build trust now so that they can know you really going to be fighting with them when the next fight breaks out? Yes, yes. Oh, my gosh. Rev, that is like the perfect analogy. And I think about it like this. I went to Spelman. And of course, that is the number one institute as far as I'm concerned in the whole world. But the number one institute that has been training African-American women and women of, of, of just color period across this country since 1881. And Rev, as a freshman coming into Spelman, you know, we come in from all different demographics, all different spaces, uh, all different hoods. I'm from the South uh, and I got to come in here and I got to mix and mingle with my sisters from the West Coast and from the Caribbean. But you're right, Rev, when you all show up to that one space, everybody ain't from the same hood. And so some That's of right. us know that when that fight breaks out, we're supposed to jump in. Some of us might come from a class or a different country where my sisters didn't know exactly what they were supposed to do at that moment. <laughs> but when we got done and went back, Rev, we all went back to the same college campus. Same training space. We went back to the same collective unit, whether it was our dorm or just the safety of those gates at Spelman College. And there within that space, within that sacred space, we had to have a come to Jesus conversation and a meeting about how to protect mm. each other and what it meant to be a sister, what it means to have one's back. Because some of our sisters just didn't know because they didn't come from that background. And when I think of where we are in our environmental space right now and how for so long that exact same thing has happened when, yes, you've got big green groups that say, yeah, we thought y'all had this whole environmental justice thing. We didn't know we need y'all needed us for that. <laughs> um, <clears throat> you know, we, we didn't know y'all needed us to show up and be there for that. We are now at a time when we're saying, all right, this is the family. The family meeting has to take place because mm -hmm. we all understand that we can, we can have our differences inside the house with each other. Um, but now in order for the family to survive and do well, we have to be a united front. You have to show up for us if you want us to show up for you. And that's where we are right now. And trust building takes time. It is something that we are seeing uh, a number of organizations begin to try to rebuild the trust, you know, coming to a reckoning that they didn't show up um, and realizing that they have to show up and then understanding what does show up mean, Rev? Because for some folks... Mm. Showing up in the past was just standing there with a bottle of water and holding the earrings and the Vaseline. Showing up and <laughs> mm. getting your hands actually done. Showing up um, can mean yeah, a couple of different there. things. 
you got to get in there. You got to get in there. But it's also important for us, I think, in EJ groups to also recognize that now there is we, we've got to look at this differently in terms of the resources that we have. Somebody made a beautiful statement about, you know, when it's time for the, the movement, when it's time to get out here and protest, everybody's got their job. You got folks that's going to be on the front lines, but somebody got to be at home keeping the babies. Somebody's got to be there to make that's the right. sandwiches. Somebody's got to be somewhere collecting the bail money. And God knows we got to have somebody who's going to be the lawyer on the outside to get us out. Somebody has mm. to be praying. Somebody has to be the person that is passing out the flyers to make sure that everybody shows up in the right place at the right time. Somebody's got to be at home on the phone tree. Everybody has a role. And we have to understand that it is the collectiveness of us together that makes something happen. I can't get mad when the folks who are supposed to be collecting and doing the bail money are out there fundraising to get my butt out of jail when I need them to. I can't be mad mm. sitting in jail with me because <laughs> I need them I know that's right. doing to make Listen. sure I can get out. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's where I think we we are now is we're building this trust, trust and understanding who does what best so that we can collectively use these resources together and achieve the goal that we're trying to achieve, which is equitable climate justice. No, I know that's right. Man, thank you for that. Actually, that, that gives me a little bit of a little bit of hope. One, just knowing that them Spellman women be rumbling like that. I ain't know. I, <laughs> that, man, that's, that's good to know. I, I kind of figured that. <laughs> now hold up, and, and before all y'all Spellman women call me up and be hit me up. Listen, I know y'all rumble. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just playing. You know, I'm just that's 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 my Howard side trying to just get in the little dig in there and and just do that. Let me ask you a question, Heather, a real serious question. Um, one, can the Environmental Protection Agency survive the mm. Trump administration? And um, before you answer that, um, let's think about what then can also be done as we transition to a new administration. And before you answer that, let me just say, oh, thank you, Lord. Let me just get a little shout moment on the, on the thought of this. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Let me just get a little shout. <laughs> this, I just, I'm sorry. Let me just add a little shout there with the, the, the new day. But can EPA survive? Mm, mm. Rev, when I was regional administrator for EPA in the Southeast, I came in contact with some of the most brilliant, dedicated, and loyal people working on behalf of the American public that I have ever seen before in my life. And the career EPA officials that um, not only work uh, for that agency, but have been there for years, are dedicated in a way that is um, rare but precious. Mm. Because I saw men and women each and every day uh, who came to work, and despite the stereotypes that people think about the environment in the South in particular, because I was in the southern states, eight southern states where people think that, you know, the stereotypes about environmentalism are that, you know, we just care about hunting and fishing. But when I tell you that we had career staff at EPA in the southeast that day in and day out were concerned about the air we breathe, the water we drink and the ground and land that we stood on. Um, <clears throat> That persistence, despite years of people thinking otherwise, let me know that the agency will be fine because there are career mm. staff that have been in place um, and who are dedicated um, to human health and protection of the environment. Now, saying that does not mean that it will not be hard and it has not been hard. I think it has been extremely difficult for those career staff members to stay and maintain and do everything they can to hold that agency together under 
the most vicious conditions that any of us have ever seen. And while the agency has certainly lost a wealth of institutional knowledge and wisdom, either through retirement or through cutbacks, there are still people that are there that want to make sure the agency's mission is continued. Now, the scary part for me, Rev, is if we don't show up and vote in November, or if something happens where this election is stolen from us, um, Mm. moving forward, how will they be able to sustain uh, attacks on the agency? I don't know, Rev. I honestly don't know. Um, Because this administration has been so vitriolic in terms of trying to reverse every single thing that we have accomplished in both a Democratic and Republican administration over the past 40 years. Uh, So I think that's why folks are so adamant about making sure that we're calling to account what's happened. We're putting it on the record. We're trying to preserve the record but also really praying for and encouraging all of those career staffs that are there, that um, we will continue to do that so that they can continue to do their jobs. No, that's important. And for folks there who are still at the EPA, you know, you're right. And those who have kind of held up the banner of fighting for clean air and clean water, thank you. You're 100% right, Heather, in that. And um, it's serious, y'all, because, you know, air pollution is responsible for over 7 million deaths annually. And I guess for folks who maybe don't understand, somebody who worked at EPA, maybe you can just kind of tell folks listening, what are the effects literally on the most vulnerable, like children, elderly, and why a strong EPA, but why we must have clean air? Absolutely. You know, when folks think about air pollution, I think of it sometimes like, you know, wind. You can feel it but you can't necessarily see it. Uh, you know it's there. I have to think of um, <clears throat> how the mother's board at the, the church would say, you know God is there. You can't, may not be able to see him, but you can sure feel him. That's, <laughs> if you think about the opposite of that with air pollution, um, people feel it in their health. And the most common way that people associate it is through things like asthma. But the reality is that air pollution impacts so many more issues of health, particularly in the children and children and elderly people. Air, um, air pollution is directly associated with health impacts of um, respiratory illnesses, diabetes, heart disease, cardiac failure, incidents of different chronic respiratory illnesses, cancer. All of these are related to air pollution because it's dealing with things that you are breathing and that are ultimately impacting um, your lungs and how this is processing through your body. And so just being in close proximity to air pollution means that you have a higher susceptibility to these chronic diseases. Uh, Things like mercury, we, we have fought back and forth with EPA um, about the mercury and air toxic standards. At Moms Clean Air Force, that was one of the first things our organization really, really pushed EPA to do. And we were successful in getting those mercury and air toxic standards really strengthened. So to see an EPA reverse that, it is a direct attack on women of childbearing age and children. Mercury, we know... It goes through the placenta and impacts the brain development of a fetus. So an unborn child, if you are living close to a emitting source of mercury, air pollution is a form of mercury is a form of air pollution, um, then you are more susceptible to having these harms. These are the different types of ways that communities are impacted. And we're seeing more and more of these health impacts discovered each and every research paper that we read. So this is not something that we should say, oh, can be um, fixed through a medication or, you know, through some type of health change. No, we have to fix this by reducing the amount of air pollution and ultimately eradicating it from our communities worldwide. Mm. 
Man, thank you for that. And I and I just, you know, right now, you know, in a few weeks, on August 29th, will be the 15th anniversary of Hurricane Katrina, something that is means a lot to me because of my community in Louisiana and so, losing so many family and friends literally either to the hurricane or losing them post-hurricane because of heartbreak and just disaster. And so we're in hurricane season now, and this is actually an intense one that we are in. Um, it has it has already broken some records. Maybe we haven't really seen, but this how the activity of what is happening in hurricane season. So I guess for you and for me, both being from Louisiana and you from Mississippi, I know what does this mean for the Gulf Coast and um, how should communities be preparing? And, you know, just how should our community be dealing with the aspects of the hurricane season that we're in? And, you know, it hits home for me. You're right, Rev. You know, being right here in Mississippi, but also my parents live in Florida, which is state mm. with, you know, one of the hardest hit states when it comes to coronavirus. Um, and both of my parents are over 70. So even, you know, right now we're constantly thinking about um, what, a exodus from Florida would look like for for them uh, in case of a hurricane. And that's the type of conversation that I think families across the Southeast, particularly those who are in hurricane paths, have to have right now, uh, particularly communities of color, uh, our community organizations, churches, um, collective spaces, for community leaders, but also where people rely upon that information, um, have to begin to have the conversation of what do we do if there is not only a hurricane that is coming, but also in terms of protecting ourselves from coronavirus um, as we're trying to maintain our own safety. This is this is something we haven't had to really think of in the past, you know. Um, and I can tell you, you know, for our own household and family, we have thought through what is the path of escape? How do you stop mm. along the way if you have to, you know, get gas, go into a restroom? Um, where do you stay? What are the procedures? Like if you're trying to stay in a hotel of making sure that the places are not only clean and safe, but that we're social distancing. And then, you know, how um, can we ensure our own protections in communities that aren't very, um, that, that really don't care whether you have on a mask or not, you know, in, in the midst of an emergency, everybody's just trying to get out. Um, mm. it's a, this is the type of preparation. So, you know, what do I say right now that <clears throat> folks have to prepare the same way that we think of emergency management, that we think, um, of preparing ourselves from tornadoes or floods. We've got to do the same thing that we know to do with respect to preparation for, um, hurricanes and coronavirus. Um, think right now, where would you go? In case of a hurricane, where would you evacuate to? Um, if you're going to shelter in place, what are the things that you need to shelter in place? Now, all of us remember the great toilet paper fiasco of <laughs> March and April of 2020. Uh, and we know what it's like when folks uh, go to stockpile and stuff. So. Right now, we are thinking about being reasonable, but at the same time, uh, making sure that our households are protected uh, <clears throat> and that we're ready. So, you know, these are like the emergency management things that I, I would encourage all communities to think through. Social distancing how to, and keeping that in space and making sure that we have adequate preparation and uh, how we're checking on our uh, most vulnerable, our elders and our children and ensuring that they are prepared. Man, that's, I, you know, as you were talking, I just think about just this hurricane season and the aspects of COVID-19 is just, man, it's, it's something else. And, you know, just for folks who 
you know, we are at the caucus, we'll be doing um, a, a, a virtual conference. Um, so you can check it out at Katrina15.com, please. So we are, hopefully I'll try to convince my sister Heather. I'm sure it will be too hard to be a part <laughs> of all that, of that conversation <laughs> as, <laughs> um, and to be a part of that. So hopefully you, you'll, if you, you get to hear her again, as we really discuss some of these issues. Um, you know, Heather, I just really have two more questions for you. And one of these really goes into faith. Um, as you know, I work with a lot of young people who come from different backgrounds. Some of them have my faith, which is Christian. Some of them may be Buddhist, Jewish, um, Muslim. Some of them are agnostic. Some of them are atheists. But the one thing I tell them, I tell them that you got to have something invisible to pull on besides yourself that you can't do this work if you're only pulling on yourself. If if your only source is of, of fighting the good fight, if it's the if a black line, if it's climate justice, if it's a pipeline fight, if it's for clean air, for clean water, you, you can't do this fight if you're just pulling on yourself. Um, and I've seen that. I've seen so many of our young people who have, you know, either been depressed or worse, you know, try to take themselves out because they're just pulling on themselves. And so for you, um, you know, from your perspective, you know, as a woman of faith, you know, how has one faith influenced your environmental activism? But one, how important is faith to, to, to in doing this work? Rev, it is integral to every single aspect of my life and my work. Um, I, I too am of a Christian faith background and believe wholeheartedly that, you know, God gave me a responsibility, gives us a responsibility that I can, I can only speak for myself and my relationship. Um, my responsibility is to be a good steward, uh, to be respectful and responsible for God's creation, what he has given me to be charge over. And, and I take that both from a biblical perspective in giving charge uh, to us to care for his creation from the beginning in Genesis. Uh, and, and some people think of that, you know, that that meant that you have dominion over everything, right? We can go and use it all up. And I don't think that's what God was saying to us at all. I think that he was giving us a responsibility to care for creation and in exchange for our care and our showing this responsibility, we are continued, we continue to be blessed with more things to uh, share in and to have a responsibility for in the same way that, that God cares for us. Um, and that's the spiritual side of this. But also when I think, Rev, of the faith of my ancestors. Um, I go back to a time when I visited um, Gore Island in Senegal and went to one of the slave castles. And when I was on that piece of land and standing at that door of no return, I felt that spirit of ancestors who walked through that door and recognized that even their spirituality at that moment was trusting that if they survived, something good would have to come. And I recognized from that moment on that I am the physical embodiment of years and generations of prayers and hopes and dreams, of faith in action. I am actually physically somebody's faith standing here in flesh and blood because my existence in this space right now is symbolic of survival. It is symbolic of resiliency. It is symbolic of sustainability through the transatlantic slave trade, through the oppression of enslavement in this country through the struggles of the civil rights movement. I am the embodiment, and we all are, 
as Africans who are in America in its experience right now, we're all embodiment of somebody's faith. And so I, I bring that to the things that I think of right now. And, and the story in the Bible that sticks with me the most is the story of Esther. And you know, wondering of if we are here for such a time as this, if I'm here in this space, to be this voice, to talk on behalf of people of color, but also to bring us together about being good stewards for what God has given us. What if it is that I am here for such a time as this? I am obligated to be that faith in action. Uh, And I take that very seriously. And that's what keeps me going every single day. Amen. Amen. I love that. I love that. So, Heather, this is my last question for you. And it's actually something that it's kind of a time capsule, actually. Um, So I know you have three beautiful babies um, and your mama. And so I want you to kind of move this down, though, so that when your babies have babies um, and even those babies have babies, and so you are either a grandmother or a great-grandmama. And they look back at <laughs> Grandmama, <laughs> Heather McTierzoni, um, and they talk about you. Um, and they say, man, she was amazing. She was the first African-American, first female, youngest mayor of Greenville, Mississippi. Man, she was an attorney. She went to Spelman. You know, Essence Magazine had her as one of the 50 most remarkable women in the world. On and on and on and on. Um, But if you can speak now, and this is like 100 years from now, uh, if you can speak to the generation coming after you, what would you want them to know? The floor is yours. I want them to know that they are perfect as they are. They don't have to adjust or change themselves for anybody else because they are appointed to be in space for this time right now. And they, you know, you should always keep going forward, never give up and never not believe in who you are because you are designed to be the perfect person for right now. Be who you are and all of its glory and all of the fallacies and mistakes Smile and be who you are because God has appointed you for such a time as this. And that would be the message to my grandchildren and great-grandchildren to keep this momentum going. Mm, powerful. That's Heather McTier-Tony, the National Field Director of Moms Clean Air Force, former mayor of Greenville, Mississippi, and former regional administrator for the EPA under the Obama administration. Thank you, Heather. And Heather, if folks want to, and if folks want to reach you and get in contact with you or Moms in the Air Force, how can they do that? Hey, absolutely, follow us on uh, Twitter and Facebook at Clean Air Moms. Uh, I am on Twitter at Heather McTeer, and uh, you can always find us online at MomsCleanAirForce.org. Please follow us and check us out regularly. Like what you heard on this episode? Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Follow us at Think100Climate and at Hip Hop Caucus on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit thecoolestshow.com where you can take action for climate justice right now. You can also learn more about this podcast and donate to Think 100% which is a non-profit project. Thank you for listening and all power to the people.